0: Hey everyone, it's Anna. Welcome to episode two of my travel log series. In this episode, I will be sharing with you all of the fun things that I did and saw and the people I met on my recent trip to Darien, Georgia. If you aren't familiar with Darien, it is located just north of Brunswick, Georgia. It is a quaint little town. And to give you just a little bit of background information, it was originally known as New Inverness, as in Inverness, Scotland. Kind of gives you a hint as to who founded it, right? If you're thinking the Scots, you would be correct. It was founded in 1736 by Scottish Highlanders, and it was designed by James Oglethorpe. Oglethorpe also designed Savannah, and if you know anything about Savannah, Georgia, it's laid out in a series of squares, very similar to Darien and other cities as well. In fact, Columbia, South Carolina, where I live, was also designed in a grid-like pattern, not by Oglethorpe, but set up as in a series of squares. I'm often asked how I come up with these places. You know, like how in the world did you find Darien, Georgia? Google, of course. Isn't that where we get all of our information? Typed in top 10 small towns in Georgia. I think it was 10, it may have been more. Anyways, Darien was one of those. I clicked on it. Saw some of the pictures, read the couple of tidbits about it, and decided that's where I wanted to go. Whenever I make that decision on a location to visit, I then will do Google searches on things to do, things to see, hidden gems, those types of keywords, and came up with a list, made that list, and that's where I started from. The first thing I did was, well, I found an Airbnb that was located nearby a historic home. The home is now known as Ashantilly Center, and I do apologize if I mispronounce that. Ashantilly was built by Thomas Spaulding. He already had a house on Sapelo Island, but wanted something on the mainland. And thus it was born. When I decided that's where I wanted to go, I got the contact information and I sent an email explaining what I do. You know, one week in a month, I now have my podcast. I now have the website that goes along with the podcast. Da 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 da. da. And the president of the board of directors responded. And she's like, oh, yes, please come. I'll be so excited to share Ash with you. So that was my first stop. Met with the most enthusiastic person I think I have ever met. Her name is Harriet. And she was amazing. Now, when I showed up, she was just... Then eating her lunch, but her friend that was with her, Miss Sarah, took me over to the print shop yes, there's a print shop there. What a fascinating field that is! She was showing me the process, you know, laying everything out, the individual characters and how they square up everything and make sure everything's aligned and she showed me the machines and the examples and just on and on and on truly amazing and she was just about as enthusiastic about that print shop as Miss Harriet was about Ashantilly itself and it was it was remarkable I mean, just the time and effort it takes and the patience. Oh, my goodness, the patience to set all of those characters. And then when you're finished, putting them all back. Truly a perfect skill set or a perfect job for someone with OCD. Absolutely amazing. After visiting the print shop, I went back to the house and that's where my tour began. Now, Ashantilly was built around 1820. It burned in 1937. And then the last owner, Bill Haynes, when he took it over, and I apologize, I don't have that information, and I don't recall what Miss Harriet told me. But he continued working on the house up until his death in 2001. So some of the rooms aren't finished. Some of the crown molding is missing out of the rooms. Some of the walls aren't, or excuse me, the walls are painted, but sometimes the doors weren't painted. There were a lot of things that still needed to be fixed. Kind of adds to the story. And that's exactly what Miss Harriet said. She takes me into the house. She's telling me, starts telling me the story. We walk into the room that they're using as their gift shop. And there is the most magnificent armoire I have ever seen. It had to be at least nine, ten feet tall. Massive piece of furniture. Learned that it was built in 1845 as a wedding gift. And rumor has it, it was one of the last things, not people, but things to leave Atlanta before Atlanta was burned. Whether or not that's true doesn't matter. What an amazing story. So this enormous piece is in this house and works just perfectly. So I'm walking through the house with Miss Harriet. She's telling me the story about Bill Haynes and his work and developing the print shop and Just what a remarkable person he was. And then she's pointing out the different things in the house. Things such as the wood panels in the passageway between rooms. You know, they didn't build rooms like we have now where the walls are really thin between rooms. There was a substantial depth there. So he had these wood panels that came from Charleston, South Carolina, they actually came from a boy's home. And on a few of the panels, you can see where the boys have written their name. And Ms. Harry and I discussed that. It's, we were questioning, do you paint it and make it look pristine you know, when everything is finished? Or do you leave it because there's that story behind it? And you all know I'm all about the story. So she continued to take me through the house. There were doors that he had purchased from Charleston, and she was telling me about the furniture that's in the house. And, you know, most times when you tour these historic homes, the furniture is marked off so that you don't sit on it because they're rare antiques, they're original to the house, that sort of thing. In this house, because it had burned, there wasn't a lot of original pieces left, or there were very few. And I know what you're thinking, what about that armoire, Anna? Where'd that go? Because that fire in 1937 started in the chimney, there was actually time for things to be removed from the house. Again, I think I'm remembering that correctly. Either that or a family member had the piece as they did other pieces and had since then donated them back to the center. So, you know, that's that's one of those things, you know, like with the doors, do you paint the doors and make them pristine and pretty and go along with the rest of the house? Or do you leave them in their in their current condition? There was one door frame. It must have had 12 layers of paint. You could just stand there and count them. It was just... Very interesting. So to continue, Miss Harriet takes me to another room. She explains to me what their goal is for that space and tells me about the archives and the information that they have come across and the illustrations. Remember I said that Bill Haynes opened the print shop. He was an illustrator. He did the um, small letterpress printing He was an environmentalist. So there were all of these materials, all of these things that he had kept that are still in the house. There's maps, there's all kinds of amazing things. And being able to go in there and see those objects, you know, it was truly a behind the scenes type of tour. As we are looking through the archives, I see a little calling card. Now, back in the day, that's what you left when you visited someone's home. In the military, I mean, I had cards. I had calling cards when I was a military spouse for a while because that's what you did. You would leave your card whenever you went to someone's home. Well, laying on the table were the calling cards for Bill Haynes' sister, Anna Excuse me, Anne Lee. My name is Anna Lee. So Anne Lee, which I thought was really cool. She never married. She was a painter, very talented family. And there's a story that she used to make a lot of trips to Columbia, South Carolina. She and Bill and their family had lived in Columbia when they were younger. And he actually returned to Columbia when he was stationed at Fort Jackson. So the story with Miss Ann Lee is that she spent time in the sanitarium. Now those of you who grew up in Columbia know exactly what I'm talking about. We call it Bull Street because that's where it was located. So they believed that that's why she made frequent trips to Columbia. She spent time in the sanitarium. Don't know the details. That's just what they they said. Nobody's ever really talked about it. After going through the looking at the archives, we went into another space, which was Miss Anley's bedroom at one point. I mean, the bed is even in there. And there's just more stuff, more correspondence, more illustrations, more paintings, more maps, more, more of everything. And it was so fascinating. To see that, you hear about the archives or you wonder what people are doing behind the scenes to gather all of this information and then how to present that information. There's no space to present all of that information in this house or I don't know if you would find a place big enough to display it all. It was so much information. So that was my tour of Ashantilly Center. And Miss Harriet gave me some other places that I should visit as well. And of course, I made a mental note and ended up writing those in my notebook. One thing she mentioned was the cemetery. Now, you know I love me a cemetery. So of course, that's where I go. So off to the cemetery I go. Oh, wait, no, sorry, got that wrong. That was on my list to do, but I wanted to check in With my host at the Airbnb first because I told them what time I would be there. So I go there, meet them just briefly, put my bags down. I told them that I had heard about the cemetery. Oh, yes, you must go to the cemetery and make sure you look for the triplets. That's all I was told. Look for the triplets. So off to the cemetery I go, which isn't far from where I am. And I was like a kid in a candy store driving around, looking at the different headstones, the different monuments. There's even a mausoleum there. Um, Thomas Spaulding, if you remember, he's the one who built Ashantilly. His family burial plot is there. And that was his idea. He chose that particular location for the family burial ground. In 1867, his son, Charles, gave the land surrounding that family burial plot to St. Andrew's Episcopal Church. I'll mention them a little bit later. And the understanding was it will always be a cemetery. Nothing else will be developed there. Cemetery it is. So I found the family burial plot. Some of the crypts, the the top piece was broken off. I did not look inside to see what was there. And it was packed. I mean, you know, it had a little fence around it, and it was it was filled. It was kind of hard walking between them to try to look to read the inscriptions on them. And it was one of those driving cemeteries. It's got all the paths in between. Kinda it's laid out like a square, just like Darien is. So rode around. And I thought I found the triplets because I found this monument that said to the children or the children of Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. That's all the information there was. Behind that statue, that monument were three, I don't know what the correct term is. It's the concrete slabs, you know, so the vault is in the ground and then these are the slabs that lay on top rather than having a headstone. They were so worn, I couldn't read anything on them. So I don't know if those were the triplets or not. Continue driving around. Interestingly enough, they had you would have the headstone, and then at the foot would be another smaller stone, and those were marking where the Confederate vet, Confederate veterans were buried. I'd never seen that before. I've been in lots of cemeteries. It sometimes it would say on the headstone or there would be something else, but never have I seen like an actual granite, marble, whatever the material is, used as the headstone that specifically notes that they are a veteran. As I was leaving, something caught my eye. And I know what you're thinking. Is it a spirit? Did you see a ghost? You are in a cemetery. No, I did not. I saw three crosses. Three identical monument headstones all next to each other. I think those are the triplets. Elizabeth was one. Johnny was one. And the other one, unfortunately the name had been broken off or had fallen off. So I was not able to read it. And that's all that was on there. There was nothing about how old they were, the year they died, the year they were born. There was nothing, nothing else there. And I've Googled and Googled and Googled and can't figure it out. I only assume now that they may have been the triplets that I had been told about. I don't know. Either way, Very interesting. Back to the Airbnb I go. Bryce and Melissa Melissa are the hosts. The house they live in was originally built in 1820. Two rooms right in the front. Porch, covered porch, two rooms. In 1880, an addition was added onto it, which added more bedrooms. And the room I stayed in was actually one of those. So I slept in a a room that was built in 1880s. In 1920, another addition was made, which added on a living room kind of area and then a kitchen. The house was occupied until about 1980, I think. Interestingly, it's been in the same family. No one else had lived there until Melissa and Bryce. The house sat empty for 30 years. It wasn't abandoned. No one lived there. The family, when the owner had passed, or the owner, I think she was put into a a nursing home or assisted living or whatever we called those types of places back in the 80s. They would come and they would... Always stopped by the house to check on it. And the yard was maintained and all of that. But for 30 years. And that's when Melissa and Bryce purchased it. They added on some more. Updated a few things. But the character is still there. Fascinating artwork. Fascinating decorating style. It was just an amazing house. And the history beautiful garden, overlooked the marsh. It even had a building in the back that they've been told was the slave quarters. And what's interesting about it is it's like a duplex. So it's one building, has two doors that separate the two spaces. And then there's a chimney. They use it for storage. And it's actually in really good shape to be that old, beautiful garden, all of that. So you know I was in my element. Saturday morning I get up, I've got my book, all the places I wanted to visit on there, off I go. I see this house that looks like it's abandoned, and I can't figure out where I need to go to to park. I don't know why it was so difficult because when I ended up parking, it was like, oh, okay, here it is. It is now an art museum, or excuse me, an art center and a museum. The jail was built in 1888 and was used as the county jail until 2002 when a new facility was built. It then became the art center, the museum-slash-welcome center. It was closed when I was there. But you know I walked around and took pictures. It would have been really neat to go inside. I don't know if there's any of the original left, if they promote that. Maybe next time I go, they'll be open. Across from the jail and up a little bit was a church. And that church was if you hear pages turning, it's because I've written out these notes, so I don't forget anything. And I want to make sure I touch on everything. It was, I have so much to share. So across the street and up a block, there's a church and it is the first African Baptist church. It was built in 1864, or excuse me, 1868. The original church was built on that same location in 1834. Don't know what happened to it, but what is standing was built in 1868. Across the street from this church is this fenced in area with barbed wire. There's houses around it. Seems a bit odd. It's the old cemetery. And in this cemetery is a bricked fenced area. I'm sure there's a special name for that in this in the As far as cemeteries are concerned, I don't know it. But within that bricked square are two crypts. And in those crypts are a brother and a sister. I don't know why the sister is buried there. I think there may have been other people at some point. I don't know what happened to them. But I do know that... He was a loyalist and she was married to a loyalist. That's all I could get on it. Because it was not one of the things to see and do in Darien when I Googled it. Did the best I could with taking pictures. I'm not about to climb a fence. Especially one that's got barbed wire at the top of it. But I do have, do have a picture of it. I thought it was pretty cool. Next, I went down and oh, I started looking for other churches. I just started driving around. I came across St. Cyprian's Episcopal Church. This is one Miss Harriet had mentioned to me. It was built out of Tabby and it was built for slaves. There was a plantation that is now across the bridge on Butler Island. And I do believe that it were those slaves that were then brought or allowed to or that church was built for them. And it is one of the few African-American Episcopal churches in Georgia. And that church was built in 1875. So... What's interesting about this church was it was made out of tabby. If you're from the South, especially the coastal South, you know about tabby. Tabby is made from water, sand, ash, and broken oyster shells. I don't know why oyster shells, but oyster shells. And that's what the whole church is made out of. And there are a lot of buildings, a lot of structures that are made from the tabby, and there's a lot of ruins as well. And interestingly, if we go back to Ashantilly, Thomas Spaulding created his own tabby mixture. It was a little different. I don't know how, but I remember it was a little different than, than the typical. Next, I came across St. Andrew's Episcopal Church. Remember, I mentioned the cemetery, So, that church was built in 1844, and it was burned in 1863. What's interesting about that is the commander of the Union troops, Colonel Robert Shaw, was responsible for the burning. He was so distraught about it. He wrote his mother a letter describing how how he felt about burning that church. He was later killed during the attack on Fort Wagner in South Carolina. After his death, his mother and some of her friends raised money and sent it to have that church rebuilt. I think that's pretty, pretty awesome. I then went down to the waterfront you can't be near water and not go to the waterfront, right? So I did. Great view of the river, the grass. There some boats. They've got some construction going on on one end. But still, the view was, was just wonderful. And right behind all the parking areas for the waterfront, there are some tabby ruins. Because of their location, there were probably shops At some point. Left there. And decided I would stop. And walk through the little antique shop. That they have there. Wasn't looking for anything. Just decided I would walk in. Left there. And went down a block. To a place called Marsh Hand Studio and Gallery. And I met Janet. Janet is an artist. She paints on old windows. Shrimp boats are really the thing that she does most of. And they're amazing. I mean, the the talent is just anybody who can create a picture from a blank canvas just blows my mind. So it was great talking to her. And I actually found something there. Something I had been looking for but didn't know that that's what I was looking for. And I came back and got it later in the day. So, oh, let me back up. Saturday morning, I got up, made coffee, and Bryce, the Airbnb host, came out there and we were talking and asked what I was going to do for the day. And he's like, oh, you know, here are some restaurants, but I really recommend Mudcat Charlie's. I go there every so often, meet my buddies, and we have lunch. I'm like, okay, I'll keep that in mind. I'm now at Marsh Hen talking to Janet, telling her why I'm there, what I'm doing, my story, kind of, sort of, a little bit. And, you know, some of the other plans I had for the day. And she's like, oh, you've got to eat at Mudcat Charlie's. I'm like, okay, you're the second person to have mentioned that to me. I'll keep that in mind. Thank you. Leave there, go across the bridge to Butler Island Plantation, which is a beautiful white house. Unfortunately, I couldn't get very close to it. It was overgrown. There was really no clear path. And because it's by the river, you know there's alligators. And I can't outrun an alligator. So I got as close as I felt comfortable. And then got a love of Zoom, zoomed in, and got some pictures Beautiful home. I can only imagine how wonderful it is inside. One day. We'll get there one day. But it was a rice plantation and there are some remnants of the mills that were there on site. Now it's got this big dirt road loop around it. You can drive around and there are a couple of places where you can park and get out and fish or do whatever. One of the interesting things I learned about the People of this plantation was... Well, first of all, it was a rice plantation. That's what you had in that area because of the, the swamp, the marshes, that sort of thing. So it was a rice plantation owned by Major Pierce Butler. What's interesting about him, I guess it's not him, but in relation to him, is his wife, Franny, did not like the idea of slavery. She was anti-slavery. She ends up writing and publishing a book called Journal of a Residence on a Georgian Plantation in 1838-1839, and she talks about the harsh treatment and just all of the things you imagine about slavery. She's writing them. She's telling a story, telling their story. Well, old Mr. Butler did not like that. So he divorces her. Fast forward to 1866, when his daughter, Frances, not the same person, returns to the plantation and tries to restore it. She was very different than her mother in that she was not anti-slavery. She ends up writing a book, Ten Years on a Georgia Plantation. Very different view from what her mother wrote. Left Butler Island and headed down to another plantation. This one, Howful Broad—excuse Broad, me, Howful Broadfield Plantation. And when you think of plantation homes, you think of those big white buildings. Lots of stairs, big columns, very ornate. And this, honestly, looked like a farmhouse. What people are building today as farmhouses. That's what it looked like. You walk in and it's like walking through a time warp. Everything is as it was when the owner, Ophelia, I believe her last name was Dent. Ophelia Dent died in the house in 1973. I'll tell you what, though. It was, well, you go in, you park, you go to the Welcome Center. They've got a video that shows. If you want to tour the house, it, there's a fee for it. Then, it's a 10-minute walk to the house. So, you follow this path. Beautiful, old... Oak trees everywhere, Spanish moss hanging off of them. Gorgeous. Get to the house, and of course, it's got all the outbuildings. You've got the barn, you've got, at one point, it was a dairy farm. So you've got the, you know, with the trough where the cows would come where they would milk them, you've got the smokehouse. All of those things that you would imagine a plantation having, as far as buildings, were there. The old trees, there's a tree that's right next to the house, 600 years old. That's what they estimate 600 years old. There's a magnolia tree out front, has to be the largest magnolia tree I have ever seen pushing five, six hundred years old. And when you stand on the porch of the house and you look out with The house is behind you. You're looking out. What you see ahead for miles and miles and miles was all or is all part of the plantation. And you could see where the rice fields used to be. When Miss Ophelia died, the property went to the state. So it will never be developed. Which is amazing. If you see an an aerial view of it. Enormous property. And to think that it will never be developed. Is remarkable. Finished with the plantation tour. Girlfriend was hungry. I'd been up and going since early that morning. It was time to eat. So before I left. I was talking with the tour guide. And thanked him, you know, all the information. It was really, really um, enjoyable. And he says, where are you off to next? I said, well, got another historic site I'm going to visit, but I've got to eat first. I am starving. Got the best place you need to go. Mudcat Charlie's. And I just smiled. Smiled said, "Yep. I heard it's pretty good." He's like, "Yep. It is." That was the third person who had mentioned this restaurant to me. I believe in the power of 3. That was a sign. I was having lunch at Mudcat Charlie's. Well, the interesting thing about Mudcat Charlie Charlie's or its location is it gets visited By a very large alligator from time to time. And this alligator showed up while I was there. So of course I had to go out and see him. And from what others were saying. This ginormous alligator was the small one. I can't imagine what the big one looks like. Took a couple pictures. On my way I go. My next stop was Fort King George State Historic Site. Fort King George is the oldest English fort remaining on the Georgian coast. It was used as a fort from 1721 to 1736. And was an outpost for the British Empire. 1736 James Oglethorpe brought those Scottish Highlanders to the area, and that's when it became known as Darien, and up until 1923, Darien, that area, was, I don't know what the right word is for it, but they exported lumber. That might be the way you say it. There might be another term for it. But that's what they did. Up until 1925, that's what Darien was known for. Day was still young. Belly was full. I was ready to go. So I headed off to find this neighborhood. Because I had been told by Miss Harriet, get on 99, go north. You're going to see a sign for this neighborhood. It's a big sign. You're not going to miss it. Turn there. Go all the way to the end. You either got to go right or left. Go to the right. And there it is. I asked, what? What am I looking for? I'm sneaking into a gated community to look for something. What is it? Well, lo and behold, they're tabby ruins. Now, tabby ruins are protected. If you do not know that, I know I haven't said it yet, but they are protected. If you have them in your yard, like a friend of mine, you can't really do anything with them. You have to keep them there. And I've seen tabby ruins before. There's really not a lot to them. But you can tell they've got a distinct look that that's what they are. This, with the exception of a couple walls that were down, each of the structures were still pretty much standing and it was a huge structure too. I'd never seen anything tabby ruins that that extensive before. Those ruins were the remnants of a sugar mill and rum distillery. Who knew? They were built around 18 the 1800s and it was called the Thicket. I don't know if it's because the trees were all around it or where that term came from, but that's, that's what it was known as. In 1824, a hurricane came through, tore off a couple of roofs, bashed in a couple of walls, pretty much destroyed the buildings. They never rebuilt them. So what's left is what's there at this moment. I wasn't ready to go back to the Airbnb yet. I had one more stop that I needed to take during that coffee talk that I had with Bryce Saturday morning. He told me we' trying to try things I like to photograph, and I mentioned abandoned buildings and those types of things. He said there was an abandoned church on highway ninety nine north, and it's this little tiny church. He's like he was describing what I needed to look for. You're going to make this, there's going to be a big curve in the road, and it's going to be right there. If you go through the curve, you've gone too far. I found it. Of course, I passed it and had to turn around and come back, but I found it. Get out of my car. I'm taking pictures of this cute little church. Walk around to the backside. And for this church to be so tiny... I mean, there were only two windows on the front of it with the centerpiece being the porch leading in. On the back, there were two doors, but in the center was this massive, intricately designed stained glass window. If you were to shift it to one side, it would probably take up half the building, if not more. And, of course, I checked the doors, but they were locked. It would be really cool to see what was inside. So I hopped back in my car. I was getting hungry. Time to get back. Get back to the Airbnb. And staying in an Airbnb where I'm actually interacting with the host, I'm using the same spaces that they use, was different for me. I hadn't done that before. But I walk in. And Melissa's sitting there on the couch. And she's like, oh, well, tell me about your day. So I sit down there and I talk about my day. And we start talking about other things. And she's an artist and a writer. We talk about her work. And talk a little bit more about what I do. And I mentioned my podcast. And so on and so on and so on. Five hours later. I know you heard that in your Spongebob narrative voice, didn't you? Five hours later. We look at our watches, oh my goodness, it's bedtime. I would have to say sitting there and talking with her was one of the highlights of my trip. She's a fascinating woman, woman. Her story is fascinating. And then Bryce joined us and we talked with him. And then, you know, the dogs were loving up on me and... The cat even made an appearance at some point. But that was that made the trip, was making that connection with him, with everybody. You know, Miss Harriet Miss Sarah at Ash and Tilly, Janet at Marsh Hen, and now Melissa and Bryce at the Airbnb. You know, that's that's one of the perks of what I do is I'm meeting such fascinating people who all have different stories. And now that I think about it, it's kind of serendipitous that Janet is an artist, and Melissa is an artist, and I'm an artist. We're all artists in different ways. I mean, they're painters, but it's very similar. You know, we all have that creative streak. We're all doing something that we love with our art. Kind of cool. I knew coming back, I wasn't going to make all the stops that I sometimes make when I'm traveling. This was one of those trips that was further than I normally go, or it's reaching that limit. And because of that, I didn't want to make my travel time home be so much more. I mean, I was already looking at three and a half hours, which really isn't a lot. But when you're driving by yourself, especially being... A female by myself. I just I don't like to travel more than four hours away. Call me crazy. I just don't like doing it. I was going to take one of the back roads though to a certain point and then hit the interstate to finish out the rest. And I'm glad I did because I was told or on my list of things was the smallest church in America. So I had to take this back road in order to get to it. And it just so happened that it was not far from where I needed to turn to get on the interstate to finish the rest of my trip. So I stopped. It's actually called Christ Chapel, and it's In Memory Park. So they have created this little simple park area. But it is a legit little church. It's got a stand with a bell It's got stained glass windows, it's got the chairs in rows instead of pews, it's got the altar and the pulpit, it's got it all. It's just smaller. And the whole notion behind this church was that it be a stop for all of the travelers that are out there on I-95 and Highway 17 it was a place for them to stop and they could relax and they could meditate and they could pray and they could do whatever they needed to do in that building. And that was it. Except it took forever to get home because there was traffic and we were stopping and going and stopping and going and stopping and sitting and sitting for I don't know what reason. Then came the rain blinding rain seriously blinding rain and yeah so it took me over five hours to get home just because of all of that but it was so worth it just like all of my trips are I learned something new at every one I meet the best people everywhere I go especially when I'm by myself And you establish those connections and you never know where it's going to lead. I think I'm going to visit Darien again someday. There's so much more to see in that area. You know, actually taking the ferry out to Sapelo Island, maybe going down to St. Simons, there's Fort Frederica that's down there, just driving some of those other roads to see what I can see. I do have my next trip planned. A really good friend of mine is going to go with me. And all I'm going to tell you is I'm going to be in North Carolina. I'm not going to give you the rest. You're just going to have to wait and listen for that one. Thank you all for listening to the Travelogues edition of The Analogues. As always, I am beyond grateful for your continued support through your contributions, through sharing my podcast and my blog and my Instagram post and my Facebook post. And thank you for listening and thank you for being so supportive. I I can't say it enough how much it truly means to me. Thank you.